I, I think the poet or the filmmaker or the musician, the poet must not avert his eyes. You must not avert your eyes. This is what is coming at us. podcast that tries to ignore the political and economic meltdown of Western society by adopting an obsessive interest in popular culture. Yay! That's not usually that honest. <laughs> I'm Paul Salt. I'm Paul Goodman. And today we will be discussing 2016, the planet Earth's critically despised follow-up to 2015 that nobody asked for. The year was critically poorly received. Uh, the Guardian said, so long 2016, the year of the political earthquake. Apt. Shaky. I'm shaky. shaking right now. Oh. Whoa. Hold on. Look out, institutions. And the poor. Um, in June, the actor Paul Bettany tweeted, In January, I dismissed my mate's theory that David Bowie was the glue holding the universe together, but now, I don't know. I don't know, man. You don't know anything, though, Paul Bettany. No, he knows very little. Your answer to literally every question you're asked. <laughs> Maddening. What would you like for lunch, Mr. Bettany? Well, without David Bowie here. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, we have decided to mark 2016 and celebrate it by talking about every film that was released in that year. Uh, there were 12,593 films, so we better get going. Okay. Uh, first film on our list is hashtag BBKY, because apparently the alphabet starts with a hashtag now. That's English for you. Yep. It's malleable. Uh, <laughs> hashtag BBKY is Nontawat Numbenjapol's Thai drama about a 17-year-old girl and her relationship with her friend Q, who has a big secret. So, Paul, you conlay or... Samwadni. Hi. Um, <laughs> what was a good thing about hashtag BBKY? The thing that I loved about hashtag BBKY was it's kind of like a cross between the Neon Demon and Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And it kind of, I felt like it channeled that seven, that that seventies slash new wave, um, eighties Vogue, um, quite nicely into a coming of age story about two seventeen year old girls. Absolutely, um, yeah, it was extraordinary. I was uh, very fond of the uh, skateboard sequence, which I think were called Back to the Future Part Two. <laughs> it just struck me as a real, really mature, sophisticated retelling of the the classic Buildings Roman that Absolutely. We, we will come to love. Absolutely, freshly updated for twenty sixteen. Um, Paul, why are we talking about 2016? It's April. It is April, but as you know, the Oscars was but a month ago, uh-huh. uh, where we learned a lot of things. We did. And we couldn't go uh, yammering on about uh, what was the best film until we'd had a room full of white men <laughs> tell us exactly what that was. Exactly. Uh, we also get staggered releases because uh, we're not the centre of the universe anymore. Nope, we used to be. Yep. Um, Back when we had um, colonies on Jupiter. Yeah, we got all the films then. Terminator, yeah. we got before America, actually. Wow. Because um, because we own Delhi. <laughs> but um, but Excellent. But, but nowadays we don't because we're no. a, we're a failing failing ex powerhouse and we have no uh, no 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 culture left, no integrity. No, absolutely, so, uh, rightly so, I say. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, Good riddance. No, so we get films very late. Consequently, yes. I always kind of hesitate and pull off on doing my top ten films of the year list until um around this time of year because you'll have seen the last sort of 
vestiges of the um, American releases then. Because it always feels a bit weird to me when you see a British newspaper do like a top 10 films of um, any given year. And the first five, the top five entries are all the sort of best films of the year before. That always seems a bit strange to me. But why do a top 10 of the year? What's the significance here? I mean, we've both done it. Yeah. um, And had a lot of fun doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that value in and of itself? I think so. I mean, uh, it's something that we do for our own gratification. Absolutely. Um, There might be a couple of people out there who are interested. If they're not (laughs) interested, then at least they might uh, be really looking forward to shooting us down for our stupid opinions. I think it's a very human thing to try and make sense of the world around us. And it's good to have a, you know, it's good to have a quantifiable reflection of the past year. Yeah. And I think it, it, it really helps you kind of reflect because as everyone knows, everyone knows the last good film was made in 1979 and that ever since then we've been obliquely trundling on through a cultural wasteland. Yeah. Uh, no good films are made anymore. They no. do not make movies like any, like anything anymore. They just don't make any films like anything anymore. No, they make nothing. Nothing no. is made. It's, 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 it's just, just all shit. Yeah, it's just rehashes of old films which were better back then. Yeah. Because men were men. Yep. Women didn't get paid. Yep. And you know, there was no representation of there was no fair representation of women or minorities in movies, which was no. for the best, as we all know. Yeah, and that year was 2016. This is a podcast from the future, 2015. We finally got it, guys. But the truth, the truth is, they do make they do make films like that anymore. Really, they really do. You mean you saw some films this year that didn't make you want to vomit into your own pile of tears? I mean, if pushed, I could probably think of 10. <laughs> okay, we're going to tell you what our top 10 films of the year are. Um, in order to not make this boring... Well, to make it less boring for you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are... There are actually a lot in common between our two lists. Mm. Where we have There are 13 films to talk about here mm-hmm. between our top 10s. So just to in order to avoid um, talking about the same films twice, the person who has ranked that film higher on their list will be the one to talk about it, and the other can chime in. Yeah. Uh, so, no better place to start than with some honourable mentions. Yeah. <laughs> um, Captain America Civil War. Deadpool. Hi- Hell or High Water. Elvis and Nixon. Free Fire. Midnight Special. Nocturnal Animals. I, Daniel Blake. Christine. Rogue One. Zootopia. Nocturnal Animals. The Red Turtle. The Neon Demon. Embrace of the Serpent. Shh, silence. <gasps> Who said that? Owly! Fuck! <laughs> oh, God. His name was... wasn't Owly. <laughs> no, it was Jesus. It was Jesus, and he finally spoke to me. Oh my god. Mm. He broke the silence. silence. <laughs> Do you have any more? Uh, Jackie. Okay, cool. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. All right, let's um, actually get into our top ten. So, okay. uh, Number ten, I've got Lion. I do not have Lion. Ah, well. I liked it. I also liked it. Tenth best out of, uh, <laughs> out of all the films. This was directed by Garth Davis, starring Dev Patel as Saru. Um, it's about a boy who gets left uh, behind at a train station in India, so many thousands of kilometers away from Calcutta, I think. He, is, um, he goes through a string of orphanages, sleeping on the street, a few hairy situations in, uh, in urban India. Is eventually adopted by Nicole Kidman and David Wenham, who is perhaps the best movie dad of all time. He's a pretty good movie dad. Oh, mate. Um, I really wanted more of uh, David Wenham's movie dad. Yeah. So he, so Dev Patel Saru grows up. It's a true story. It's based on his uh, attempts to find this town with Google Earth, yeah. uh, based on um, one childhood memory of two water towers. Yeah, two uh, water towers by the station he got lost at. Yeah, it had a very similar effect to me this year that Room did last year. Yeah, Lenny Abramson uh, film. Yeah. 
um i was weepy but it was um just a really human film um yeah. it was really well acted everybody was great in- including and especially sunny power the 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 guy who played young saru yeah i'd be curious to see if he's in anything now at all and not just um gonna like, use all of that money to develop a crippling cocaine habit <laughs> like all the best child actors like all the good child actors from the 80s used to do yeah the proper child actors. oh when films were good yeah when films were good oh do you remember that everyone no paul what was the one best thing about lion okay. the director had a real eye for um yeah. the natural beauty of uh australia australia and uh australia and um, a good portion of the film, at least the Australia part of the film, was set on uh, ta- set in Tasmania. Right. I think Hobart. Yeah, Hobart. Right. Yeah. And it looks like paradise. Yeah. <laughs> but but that contrasted with like the like the the smoggy murkiness of urban India. Yeah. Is um it's quite it's quite striking and it all stay it really stay with me. Excellent. Yeah. My number ten is Ten Cloverfield Lane. Um, a su- really surprise hit from last year. Mm. So early in the year, had no expectations whatsoever. Cloverfield is a fine film, sort of found footage monster film for uh, from J.J. Abrams. It was fine. It was yeah. okay. This was extraordinary. It's one of the leanest and most efficient thrillers ever made. Every single thing that is introduced pays off in some way. The film is about a young woman who is running away from her wedding. Uh, she gets into a car crash and wakes up chained by, to a radiator by a terrifying John Goodman, who tells her that um, the world has ended. There has been a nuclear attack, the air is toxic outside of this bunker that she finds herself in, um, and that she must not go outside. She has to stay down there with John Goodman and his friend, another a young man who is also joining them down there. And yeah, that's the film. The three of them are down in this bunker, trying to figure out the truth of what's going on outside, trying to outmaneuver each other. Mm. It's a really well-written film. The characters are really fleshed out. John Goodman is every symptom. Every it's like someone went to a domestic violence website and just wrote down the the, the symptoms of abuse because he's got them all: his coercive behavior, his um, speaking for other people, his insecurity, his jealousy. It's all there, but what's fascinating and what, for me, made this film for me is Mary Elizabeth Winstead's main character, Michelle, who is just brilliant. At no point is she the cowering, kind of uh, afraid victim. From the very beginning, she is trying to figure out her scenario, and what's brilliant about it is that she is always one step ahead of the audience. Mm. She's always just a little bit quicker than us, and she's always doing things and seeing things, and we know from the way it's directed that, oh, what she just saw is significant, but how? Only to have it pay off later, and we can realise, oh, of course, that's what she's doing, and it's brilliant to have a character that you can just be there with, trying to think her way out of the situation. There's something wonderful about well, that. Otherwise, I mean, I found it was it was so tense that I was uh, immobile. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't act, even though I was a, like, you know I was a, a passive audience member. Like, I was trying to engage, and I just had to accept that I couldn't think of a way out. Yeah. So it's good to have Mary Elizabeth Winstead's <laughs> character there, just to Being like way more competent. Than yeah, yeah, be. exactly. Than I would, I would ever be. If John Goodman ever comes near me, I'm just gonna fucking collapse into a pile <laughs> of nonsense. I've always, I've, I haven't let go of a pen since watching that film. I'm just going to jam it in his neck. <laughs> Which part? It's so much bigger than his neck. <laughs> Where do I begin? It's like eating a big cake. <laughs> Stabbing John Goodman is like eating a big cake. <laughs> That's a wonderful name for your new country album. <laughs> oh, God. <that's> <laughs> 
The one best thing about Ten Cloverfield Lane is the first scene in which we're left alone with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's uh, chained to a bed. She's got an IV in giving her nutrients and there's a vent. Hmm. And what she does with those components <laughs> and how she quickly kind of remedies a situation in which she can try and take control of the scenario is brilliant. Agreed. <laughs> Excellent. Your number nine? Uh, my number nine is Manchester by the Sea. I've got it. Okay. It's coming up. Stop me right there. My number nine is Sing Street. I've got that. Okay, so then. suck it. Your number eight? Moonlight. I have not got Moonlight. Well. I have no Moonlight. <laughs> or Boogie. <laughs> I have nothing to blame it on. <laughs> uh, moonlight. If uh, you haven't heard of Moonlight by now, uh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, where are your eyes and ears <laughs> and your heart? Monster. Lever. It follows the three stages in life in the life of Chiron, a small child uh, who is uh, bullied and abused. Mm. Um, has uh, very ambiguous, well, um, very ambiguous about his own sexuality. Yeah. Um, even from a young age, the first stage is him as this bullied uh, and abused child. His mum is a um, heroin addict. Um, played superbly well by Naomi Harris. Yeah. Um, he's befriended by a heroin dealer, played by Mahershala Ali. His girlfriend, played by Janelle Monae, both both of whom are just stellar in this. They're really good. There's. Yeah, one scene with them kind of mm. becomes the heart piece of the whole film, and it's yeah. just breathtaking. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the second part of the film um, is uh, Chiron as a bullied teenager in high school, um, who's coming to terms with his sexuality and just the 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 complete like the changing gear of the bullying and the abuse yeah. that he gets from from the same people who bullied him as a kid. The third is as uh, what you call, I suppose, a successful drug dealer who's suddenly uh, revisited by an old romance and has to come to terms with his past with and with loneliness and yeah. um like a, a life spent without love on paper you know it's an lgbtq black oscar nomination you might say it looks like oscar bait if you're a cynical piece of shit with no fucking <laughs> love in your heart whatsoever go to bed you monster um it's a stunning and heartbreaking yeah. film and it's a true film um not not a true story but it's true yeah, yeah. it, it um, feels very sincere yeah the one best thing about it is Marshall Alley, yeah who's just incredible in it okay my number eight is the witch go on okay uh the witch is a horror film about a puritanical family who have left the confines of their puritan society for being too puritan Duh. god almighty uh they go out to the wilderness they say <laughs> they, they say a lot yeah they um head out to the wilderness in order to try and find the kingdom of god or to establish it there they build a little shack they have some animals uh, they have a little baby. Mm-hmm. Everything seems to be going well until one day the baby disappears. Their imaginations run wild. Uh, they start Im- uh, imagining that there is a witch among them or preying upon them mm-hmm. in the woods. Uh, and the family just starts falling apart. Um, I love it because it is very subtly frightening. Um, I love the world. I love the sort of deep forest. I love the sort of um, early modern setting, the clothing uh the dialogue i really enjoy everything about it i really i I love the setting and i love the fact that the fear comes from how things are framed and the intense music nothing sort of uh, shocking is there Mm. it's all just the way that the, the thing is framed the witch constantly with her back to the camera working away at things um horrifying things just being thrown up there as if they were just factually there um a certain gag i guess you'd call it involving a crow um is very striking and it's not the thought the 
part of like a stinger moment. It's just put up on screen, you see it, it's there, and then it goes, and mm. it's just there for you to process. And it's just so frightening. And it plays into something I that scares me a lot, which is my inherent fear of nature. <laughs> I'm terrified by nature. There are things in it that will grow underneath your skin and then hatch and eat your brain. It's a horrifying place to be. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with Werner Herzog that the jungle is a place of twisted eroticism <laughs> and great mm. suffering. Huh? Hold on. Much like your bedroom. <laughs> so wish, sir. <laughs> Werner Herzog knows a lot about that. Um, my, the one best thing for me about The Witch was um, there's lots of great glory shots of nature um, in an attempt to say, look at it! Ugh, <laughs> look at this rabbit! It's really emaciated and it's just oh staring God. at you. What's wrong with it? For Kill God's it. sake! <laughs> just, there's lots of that and I love it. It's like Antichrist yeah. in that way. It's just, isn't this awful? <laughs> yeah, that animal's got red eyes. It's got red eyes, it's just looking at you, there's no trace of human empathy on its face. It's just there. And I think the scariest part of that is um, a goat that they find. Mm. They find this goat and they bring it back to um, the house to sort of uh, shed with the other goats. And it's, they call it Black Philip. Yes. And um, as the film goes on, Black Philip becomes the sort of heart of the anxieties they're feeling. And this goat is just fucking terrifying. It's superb casting. Uh, I believe the uh, the it's role was played. Goat. <laughs> the uh, the role was played by Goat. Yeah. Yeah, and Goat did a really good job of just being really frightening. And there's one image in particular that I don't think I'll ever forget in which it just kind of rears up on its hind legs and it's just yeah horrifying bit Oscar baity though <laughs> but he didn't uh, didn't get anything for it did he no goat no got nothing Oscar's so human <laughs> my number seven was Hail Caesar my number seven was Hail Caesar ooh ooh now ooh boy who shall take this one let's rock paper scissors one oh. two three Oh, okay, you win. Um, Hail Caesar <laughs> is a film about an old-fashioned uh, 1950s Hollywood fixer who is working in Hollywood uh, during the heart of the time when movies were good. Mm. God, right there in the oh, middle of it. Can you imagine it? They can't even make films nowadays about films when films were good. <laughs> we can't, I just can't imagine it. Without it being rubbish, yeah. We just made Back to the Future 5. Josh Brolin's fixer character is um, embroiled in a scheme to buy a bunch of communists... <laughs> to kidnap a movie star to ransom him for money, which they will then send back to Mother Russia. In the course of trying to solve this ransom mystery, uh, he encounters a whole cast of characters, including Scarlett Johansson's cynical chain-smoking actress, uh, Alden Ehrenreich's sweet-natured and talented cowboy, Ralph Fiennes' effeminate old lovey director, and Tilda Swinton's fast-talking journalist, and also Tilda Swinton's fast-talking journalist, because she plays identical twins. Yes. The movie star is played brilliantly by George Clooney, uh, who plays this sort of um, completely obliv- oblivious buffoon. And the whole film is a series of vignettes, which are odes and homages to old Hollywood. Sort of big-budget uh, musicals, uh, old westerns, uh, mm. massive biblical epics. They're, they're all in there, and it's just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would call it an homage, I think. It, it's, yeah. Um, it's, a it's, series it, of homages. Yeah, it's many homages. It's a... An homage Of homages. Yeah, <laughs> it's an homageathon of homages, and it's it's by two incredibly skilled filmmakers yeah. who adore film and screenwriters and screenwriters. Sorry, who yeah. adore cinema 
and who just want to it feels like they just want to put a bit of love back into it and it's just it's wonderful um picking the best thing about it is really hard because mm. it's one of those movies where you watch it and every scene that starts is just superb yeah pick I'd, one i'd be very tempted to say what did it were so simple which gosh yeah <laughs> it's one of the funniest scenes written for, yeah. uh in oh decades uh, uh, yeah I love it. it's it, it just it just gets everything right all right let's try this your line just say it as i said say your line exactly as i'm about to just as i'm about to do sure okay what did it were so simple would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say it were? Well, you should say it like I said it. Y- yes. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it would that it were so simple? Watch my mouth. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Keep your head still. Would that it were so simple? 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 Trippingly. Would that it were so simple? Trippingly. No, don't say trippingly. Say the line trippingly. I would. I. I would say that or the no dames. No dames. Um, it's just a classically shot musical number starring Channing Tatum. Tatum. Starring Spyro Chanyu, as he does this complex musical number shot brilliantly using long takes uh, mm-hmm. a lot of wide shots um and clearly very careful uh choreography it's just like they used to just like they used to when movies were good yeah oh well anyway let's talk about our next rubbish film uh what did you have for number six well the next uh complete waste of space in number six is sing street um so i will i will t- yes. take up the mantle for that absolutely i had it at number nine go yes. ahead Sing Street, directed by uh, John Carney, um, follows Connor, who is forced to drop out of public, that's funded school, to our American and foreign brothers, uh, <laughs> and has to go to a state school. His dad, Aidan Gillen, is not making as much money as he as he used to. Once in this school, he starts a band to impress a girl, Ralph uh, Rafina. Part coming of age, part kitchen sink, and eight parts, maybe my favourite thing ever in, in movies. Um, it's a film about creating, and it captures yeah. that magic perfectly. Yeah, you know, all while the excitement. Yeah, and it's like when when his band are together, um, Connor's older brother Brendan, played by Jack Rayner, yeah. who is in Free Fire. Yes, um, look out for Jack Rayner. He's yes. going to be a great talent. Um, he is educating Brendan, introducing him to more and more of his favourite bands, Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, and etc. Yeah. And then every single time he introduces him to a new band... Um, they go off and write a song that is heavily influenced by that yeah, band. Yeah, it gets absorbed into their sound. Yeah, they change their they change their whole look, their whole sound, <laughs> and then they shoot music videos starring this girl, Rafina, yeah. um, that are heavily influenced by these things. It's yeah. completely about exactly what making art is about. Yeah. It's a movie that makes me want to run home and start writing. In this film, I think it's, it's the emotional or other success yeah. of the characters is totally tied up in their ability to make art. And you're not a covers band, by the way. Really? No. Every school has a covers band. Every pub has a covers band. Every wedding has a covers band. And every covers band has a middle-aged member who'll never know whether they could have made it in the music industry or not because they never had the balls to write a song for someone else. Rock and roll is a risk. You risk being ridiculed. But I don't know how to write a song. Close that door and sit down. Really? It's going to be a long night. Of school in the morning. This is school if i had to choose the one best thing it'd be the music videos beautiful what i loved most about sting street was the sweetness the humor and yeah the authenticity to it it's incredibly fucking funny it's really funny and i really really deeply cared about about those boys and his older brother who is is this is this scholar teaching his younger brother about all this stuff but he's given up on 
on his art a long time ago and he's kind of yeah, he so feels he's... he feels completely stuck yeah and the extent of the brother's defeat doesn't really become obvious until like later on in the film and some you just you come to realize oh something's broken yeah something bro- snapped inside of him yeah it was a broom handle <laughs> He was a puppet boy. Oh, oh that's the twist. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan, 2016, <laughs> for the best. Um, my number six was Manchester by the Sea. My number nine. Okay. Um, yeah, Manchester by the Sea is an incredibly moving film about. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about Manchester by the Sea. Um, it is about a young man played by uh, Casey Affleck who has moved away from his hometown of Manchester by the Sea for reasons that are not revealed to us. He is, however, a character immersed in his own sense of grief for an incident that seems to have made him famous in the town, but that we don't know about until I'd say only about a third of the way in. Hmm. We get re- it gets revealed to us, and he has to return to the hometown when his brother dies. Uh, he goes back to organize the funeral arrangements and to look after his nephew, uh, Lucas Hedges, only to find that, in fact, his brother has left him full parental responsibilities for uh, his son, which obviously is something that Casey Affleck is very resistant to. The rest of the film is just about him getting to know this boy, his life, and trying to come to terms with the fact that his life may well change. We're not going to be here that much longer. I'm not moving to Boston, Uncle no, I don't want to talk about that You right said he now. left you money so you could move. Yeah, that doesn't mean... Anyway, what's in Boston? You're a janitor. It's a fantastic film, not only because of the incredible performances by Casey Affleck, Lucas Hedges, and Michelle Williams. Um, it is also beautifully written and beautifully filmed by Kenneth Lonergan. You feel like you spend time in that town, in Manchester by the Sea, in its um, sort of sea salt-filled uh, broad streets and sort of run-down kind of aesthetic mm. that it has. Um, Such is the magic of it, that this, despite all of that, I didn't want to leave. No. I wanted to be there. Yeah. And you yeah, you do get this wonderful sense of frustration from the disconnect between this charming locale and Casey Affleck's detachment, mm. which, as you get to understand what happened to him, you relate to more and more. Um, it's a funny film. It's very yeah. amusing. The interactions between him and the nephew are very amusing. It's, um, there's a wonderful scene of uh, Casey Affleck before the tragedy. Um, with uh, it, It's clear that whatever the tragedy is, that has involved him losing access to his uh, wife and kids. Mm. And we get a lot of early scenes with his wife and kids. Wife played by Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. Kids played by kids. And Goat in a and surprise throwing yeah. performance. <laughs> and yeah, it's just the most natural, wonderful and charming family scene you've ever seen in something. Yeah, I was fully expecting to to be sort of pushed into this scene as a kind of oh look he's a he's a bore and she doesn't like him she doesn't love him anymore and look he's he's a drunk yeah but um I don't know what I was expecting <laughs> just two dimensional yeah like relationship like like you get in all films that are released today because they're morally and artistically bankrupt yeah it's not like the seventies when we used to develop characters or anything no exactly um but no though it was a it was a real relationship and even even when he did things that would maybe uh, maybe frustrate her. Yeah. It was just love between these characters. Love, pure um, love, and just charm. You yeah. could absolutely... It's not one of those things where it's like, well, why did they even get together if she's such a stick in the mud and he's such yeah. a free spirit? Like, what even happened? Yeah. You totally get why they love each other. Yeah. Immediately. And yeah. you love them too. And the inciting incident is so beautifully handled mm. and heartbreaking. Yeah, I can't recommend Manchester by the Sea well enough. Uh, I think the one best thing about Manchester by the Sea are four words, um, which I hesitate to spoil, but I think they won't mean much out of context. 
Um, I think you'll appreciate them only when you see the film. Those four words being, I can't beat it. My number five is The Wailing. Yes. Uh, go ahead. I'd like to point out the unusualness that um, Messier Goodman, my fellow Paul, has a horror movie higher rated than any horror movie I have. Well. Well then. 2016, what a crazy year. What an awful year. <laughs> Fuck this year. Yes, The Wailing, a South Korean horror film uh, directed by Hong Jin-na. Yep. Uh, a strange Japanese man moves into a small Korean town and people start getting a sickness that ultimately culminates in their brutally murdering the other members of their family and with yep. supernatural strength and, pa- and powers, supposedly. You're going to say panache. <laughs> <laughs> supernatural strength and panache. <laughs> well, that's Asia for you. Completely <laughs> unbelievable. Um, uh, John Gu is a policeman investigating these murders. Um, he's also a, a mean oaf at times and a bit of a coward. Um, and during this, during <laughs> his investigation food, into this strange Japanese man, uh, he meets no name, Mu Myong. And before long, his daughter, um, Hyo Jin, comes down with the same sickness. It draws on a lot of Korean folklore, which influences the aesthetic and the soundtrack, yeah. which, um, oh, both, both of which are very, very rich, very, uh, a lot of lingering shots and a lot of sustained notes yeah it's almost another world it's 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 mesmerizing for that it fucks with you to the very end this this film <laughs> in, in, in dealing with the japanese stranger it's dealing with you know themes yeah. of the outsider of othering and you know the the the, the juxtaposition of modern and ancient belief systems mm. um uh, much like get, get out for me it was um not what i would consider usual usual horror fare it, it drew on a lot outside of itself to yes, absolutely. To, to to really give it clout, I think. Yeah, um, and it, it plays out with such a sense of inevitability that mm. it feels like a tragedy, just something that, like a film about a member of a family succumbing to an illness or mm. something. It just has that horrible sense of inevitability to the yeah. whole thing. And 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 again, with a lot a lot of the films that have come into my top ten, it's incredibly funny. Yeah, at times. Um, early on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 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 early on, and you know the. The rest of the film is told so that we as an audience are no more informed than yeah. than um, Jong-gu. You genuinely don't know no, what it... is happening, where the threat is coming from. It it toys with you and it gets you to feel for people that you probably shouldn't and to demonise yeah. people. Um, <laughs> oh, no pun intended. Oh, that, you. Um, that you'll you may you know later later come to regret. Um, if I had to say, if I had to pick the one best thing. Which you do. Um, oh, okay. Well, oh, um, oh, uh, okay. It was, it was the, the law, the law, the folklore. Oh, right, um, yeah. in, yeah, it was, it was rich. It went deep. Weirdly, weirdly enough, it was the, the folklore and, and the ancient beliefs yeah. or the traditional beliefs that made it believable. Excellent. My number five is your name. Well, we're going to have to put a pin in that. Okie dokie. Your number four? My number four is Handmaiden. Put a pin in that. Oh. My number four is Patterson. They're pinless. Pinless. Go for it. It's, it continues pinlessly. <laughs> Patterson is the film of a week in the life of a bus driver in Patterson, New Jersey, uh, whose name also just so happens to be Patterson. Hmm. Uh, he drives a bus and he writes poetry. And he lives with his wife, who is very fond of black and white design and has a number of projects going on. And they have a dog together. That's it. That's the story of Patterson. Um, the film was so innocent and sweet that I just, I just thought there was something going to happen underneath it. I thought maybe the wife mm. was having an affair, that the dog was going to get brutally murdered partway through by, by gangsters, and then he'd have to come, come <laughs> after them, John Wick style. 
uh-huh. there's none of that. It's it's a yeah. beautifully sweet natured film about an incredibly wonderful character undergoing his everyday life. Um, it's incredibly serene. It's almost a film without conflict. Mm. Um, Patterson goes about his life meeting people. Um, it's a film about the beauty of being alone and yet also the joys of good company. He spends a lot of time just walking around, writing his poetry. He has a little reclusive study downstairs in the basement. And yet it is as much about that as it is about how wonderful it can be to have just a a simple interaction with another human being. Mm. Um, Patterson listens to people. He's a sensitive person. Um, He encounters people on the streets and just, I don't know, because of his nature, he just has, like, every so often someone comes up to him who's quite creepy like a, a a car full of youths pull by and ask him what kind of dog it is that he's walking and i get edgy <laughs> you yeah. get edgy like oh fuck get away it's get making away. me nervous and i haven't even seen it <laughs> get away patterson <laughs> um uh, and they just talk a bit about the dog and it, it, the guy's like um yo you must be careful of a dog like that because it might get jacked and all that that does is that later on after patterson's tying the dog up outside the pub he says to him don't get jacked ollie oh and then he just goes inside <sighs> It's so just, nice. It's so nice. It's a fucking nice film. It's a, a film <laughs> that makes me wish I were nicer. And that's the first time you've sworn in this podcast. <laughs> it was about Patterson. See? <laughs> See? I think we've been ruined by things like Game of Thrones. And yes. we're told to expect that if a character has a nice moment or a redeeming moment, that they're going to die. They're or something die brutal or something is going to happen to them. Happen. Something really unfair. So I found the film very tense. Yeah. <laughs> worth a second watch <laughs> worth a second watch to just know nothing bad's gonna happen yeah. uh, well, and the heart of this film is Adam Driver who just gives this stunning performance mm. and um, I think something interesting about this is earlier on I was reading a review of Patterson by Tim Robbie over at the Telegraph yeah. and I choked up at the end of the review mm. um, the last sentence of the review is about how Patterson is gonna live on as a character and it says of him it's an honour to know him and a serious ache to say goodbye. And uh-huh. I choked up because the use of the word honour to refer to such a simple, mm. charming character. Like, I hear honour, I think, of sort of great deeds and stuff. To yeah. think that a character who lives a humble life gratefully, it would be an honour to know such a person, really choked me up. And it's rare that I see a character in a film that I think, I wish I was that person. Um, Sounds like a Walden of the modern age. Yes, actually, it was. Walden yeah. came up a few times, but rather than living in the wilderness, he's living in um, Patterson, New Jersey, and there are some resemblances. Yeah, Picking a best moment is tricky because, like I say, because it's seven days, mm. the same sorts of things happen to him each day. It's the details that change. Uh, Tim Robbie at The Telegraph described it as a new page in the same book every day. Uh, my favourite thing, the, well, the one best thing, I think, is watching Patterson wake up each morning. Each morning uh-huh. he wakes up. If you've seen a poster or the box, it's yeah. that image. Right. Every morning he wakes up with his wife by his side. His body clock wakes him up. Nothing so dramatic as an alarm clock is necessary. He just he wakes up at 6.30 every morning. And yeah, I just love it. What are we doing here, man? <laughs> what are we wasting our lives for in this podcast? <laughs> oh, Patterson would love this podcast. It's an honour to know. <laughs> What's your number three? My number three is Arrival. Ah, put a pin in that one, would you please? Ow. Ooh, sorry, Arrival. Sorry, Amy. Didn't mean to. <laughs> oh, um. that's, the annoying thing is that's going to just keep happening to her. Um, <laughs> arrival joke, everyone. Yeah, yay. Yay. Um, my number three is The Handmaiden. Then, please. Let's take that pin out. Yeah. 
the handmaiden oh. is <laughs> yeah. the handmaiden is oh. I'm done the handmaiden is uh, Park Chan-wook's first film having returned to Korea after Stoker mm. it is an adaptation of Sarah Waters Fingersmith uh, the film is about a orphaned pickpocket played by Kim Tae-ri um, who is used by a Korean con man played by Ha Jong-woo um, as part of an elaborate plot to seduce a Japanese noblewoman uh, played by Kim Min-hee. Mm. Uh, the plan is that the uh, pickpocket will go in as her handmaiden and will set the groundwork for her to be seduced by um, the con man who is uh, presenting himself as a duke, I believe. Yes, sounds right. Yeah, um, so that he can have her committed to an insane asylum and take all of her money. Mm. That is the plan. Yeah. Uh, we are then led to believe that nothing is quite as it seems. No, no, no. No, no, no. But more crucially, um, it uh, seems to us that uh, the handmaiden and her uh, employer, <laughs> I guess, are um, actually developing feelings for each other. Or are they? Maybe. Who's to know? I couldn't say. Um, I tell you. I love Park Chan-wook. Mm-hmm. He's, I love Park Chan-wook. He directed my favourite film of all time, and I know Old Boy's in your top ten. Yep. Uh, we're both very fond of him. So it's good to see him return to just such stunning form in The Handmaiden, because it is a kind of, a, a, I guess, a tense thriller between these three characters. I've only seen it the once. We saw it at the London Film Festival. Yes. Uh, we've yet to see it again, because it's only just now getting a re-release, a uh, general release. Mm. Um, I can't wait to see it again, knowing how things go. Because you're made to revisit these same events a few times, knowing different things at each stage. And it's more than anything else, a masterful um, use of montage to evoke feeling in the audience. Just the composition, the transitions, the compositions, the framing. Mm. Uh, there's some brilliant moments of comedy again. There's a oh, moment, yeah. What was it he, uh, Park Chan-wook told us? He, he was actually present at our screening yeah. and gave a little talk beforehand. Yeah. And he told us that his fans in Korea had come up with an affectionate nickname for him. I think yeah. it was the um educated pervert or something yes, like that. Yes, I think that. it was the educated pervert. Yeah. Which um he was very happy with. Mm. <laughs> and you could tell he it has a lot of kinky eroticism. There's a lot of sort of sapphic delights to be had <laughs> and also uh tentacle stuff. Kind of one or two tentacles. One or two tentacles. But there some of the more as you would expect from the director of Old Point. Yeah. Obviously. No old octopus work. <laughs> octopus park. Octopus o- Park, o- Octopus Prime, <laughs> um, which is his new name. Open Forever your more. legs, Sam with Wiki. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but but some of the, the kinkier stuff, it features some of the the more like passionate moments between yeah. between the characters as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So so at the same time as being something that's fairly sexually explicit, you have a real human moment in the middle of it that was just like it, it felt like a hand coming in and just grabbing grabbing me by the adam's apple <laughs> is that where it grabbed you i'm gonna say that okay um and, and not letting go it was it was it was really wonderful and for me it was park chan work just returning to returning to form returning to form absolutely yeah um for me the one best thing about the handmaiden uh, again i don't want to give too much away but it's the second time that um the two ladies leave the house mm. permanent leave permanently yes my number two is La La Land. My number two is La La Land. No, we are quite a pair. 
couple of pools. That's us. <laughs> Mark, paper, scissor again? Yeah, okay. <laughs> three, two, one. Yeah, a real close call, my top three. Um, with Arrival, La La Land, and then um, my, my, my first place. Um, all of Take them ended with me on the edge of my seat, um, unblinking hands in front of you know, hands clasped in front of me. Yeah. But for La La Land, uh, I shat myself so hard that eventually <laughs> the entire cinema was just filled with my poo. Yeah. My yeah, appreciative I, I poo. I left some, yeah. some way into that, which is um, a shame because I was really enjoying the film. So f- so for that reason, it nudged nudged into second place for me. The yeah. film follows uh, Mia, played by Emma Stone, a struggling but talented actress, and Sebastian, played by Ryan Gosling, a struggling but talented jazz pianist. Oh, man. Um, they, they meet, they, they fall in love, they sing some songs, and that's it, right? <laughs> no, I feel like this has been overlooked by a lot of people for um, having a um, supposedly simplistic storyline, yeah, and 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 missing out on 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 nuance. But really, it's a relationship that starts uh, in apparent acrimony. The two yeah. are opposed, diametrically opposed, on account of Ryan Gosling being an insufferable douchebag. <laughs> um, he is, is is fired from uh, a, a job that he needs. He needs, uh, yes, because he refused, refused. Yeah. To just play the sheet music that he yes. was given by J.K. Simmons. And he cannot resist <laughs> just busting out a, a bit of jazz. A bit of epic jazz. I think epic jazz, jazz is the technical term. Yes. Oh, and thrash jazz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what happens after that are a few, a few meetings, a few chance meetings where yes. they uh, seemingly don't get on. Um, they're and, and they they're quite clash. self-centered, yes. I'd say, and um, in a charming, relatable way. Yeah, they both come from places of passion, um, yeah. but then the pa- their passions for for acting, for music, and and, and, and cinema, and all these things, which yeah. ostensibly come out of Damien Chazelle's head, um, <laughs> they connect through this. They 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 find common ground in passion, not necessarily in passion for the same thing. No, but yeah, passion. They they start a relationship, and they. And they they push each other to make better yeah. and better and more beautiful art, and and this comes out in in the songs they sing together, mm. um, which are just wonderful. Which yeah. you know, just very simple set pieces, but just again, classically, classically shot, and it gives you all the just just filled me with this this the the sort of the escapist joy of you know of watching old old musicals sure again through the humor. I really cared about the characters, yeah, really deeply cared about them. It's a film about the value of dreams, and you mm. can't have a film about the value of dreams without the starkness of reality in it. Otherwise, yeah. you can't create. Otherwise, it does just become too saccharine. Yeah, you can't create that sense of um, bitterness that accompanies most people's lives. Mm. Uh, people's lives. Um, yeah, <laughs> people who <laughs> are people. Werner Herzog. There are, <laughs> there are there are exceptions. There are exceptions. Nicolas Cage. But yeah, it, it's a film about the joy of dreams and about the usefulness of escapism as a way of understanding lives. Um, there's a, 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 again, not to spoil the ending, but there was a beautiful moment of dreaming, shared dreaming yeah. at the end of uh, La La Land. And it's just, it is a way <laughs> in which two people come to terms with what their relationship is through yeah. a shared love of music. And yeah, it's it's beautiful. Their past sort of rendered in living colour in this beautiful sequence that we can watch. And it's yeah. just, I, I floated out of the screen. I felt good. Yeah. I just felt better about everything when I was came out of that film. All it would take is just to hum to myself. Da, 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 And suddenly I was in that mood again. And it yeah. just, it reminded me of what cinema can be when it's yeah. really great. And I loved it. 
Yeah, I think that sums it up perfectly. Uh, the best bit for you? It's the uh, set piece for waste of a what a waste of a lovely night. Oh, my best thing about La La Land is here's to the ones who dream, which is her audition song. Oh, um, it's, it's it's the song that sort of where she's throughout the film she attends auditions, and at that audition where she sings that, she's finally actually bringing something yeah. real. I remember she told us that she jumped into the river once, barefoot. She smiled, left without looking. And tumbled into the sand The water was freezing She spent a month sneezing But said she would do it again Here's to the ones who dream filmed live she actually sang as they were filming it wasn't dubbed later like some of the musical oh, wow. numbers were justin Hurwitz was actually in the next room with an ear mic to emma stone and was playing the piano sort of in sync with her letting her sort of choose the moment when she would start singing incredible she's mm. incredible and that you know yeah yeah and, and, I, and i think right i mean ryan gosling carries a tune and it's got it's it's yeah. it's not polished but why why does it have to be polished yeah. why do you want chicago yeah, Chicago was rubbish. <laughs> no, I I really love this film. It made me really happy. Yeah, and no one can take that away from me. <laughs> My number one is your name, your name, or Kimi no Nawa. Kimi no Nawa. Now, uh, this is a uh, Japanese anime uh, film directed and written by Makoto Shinkai, hmm. um, who also wrote a novel for this. Oh wow! Film. Uh, he's a he's a an Asian Damien Chazelle. He's an overachiever. <laughs> um, I've been leaving the old tweet about this movie ever since we started this podcast. Oh. Um, Mitsuwa is a small town girl who uh, makes ancestral sake with her grand and sister. Taki is a student in Tokyo who, yeah. uh, like most teenagers, is incapable of expressing himself. But both both are kind of lost. And then one day they start to have strange dreams where they inhabit the body of a stranger of the opposite sex. Uh, we realise that they're switching bodies and they start to try to communicate um, whilst inhabiting the other the other's body. Yeah. Um, they learn more about each other and themselves as they go. Um, trying to help each other out with various issues in the, in their life, whilst yeah. getting to experience life in these in these very very different uh, yeah. situations. Um, it's unbearably funny at times because yeah. uh, I, I I cared so much about the characters sometimes that I think my heart just tore in two. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. And as the film moves to its conclusion, you know, it's it's um, I don't want to go into any of it because it's just so everything is just so like intricately woven. Yeah. Um, to to start getting into it would take me an hour to properly get across no, like the, the 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 um like the depth of it i suppose but really it's just a beautiful it's just a beautiful film incredibly yeah. well fleshed out characters um way way more than i think people give a lot of animated films credit for yeah sure um it's in, in intelligent comedy um and, a, and and again a story that literally had me on the edge of edge of my seat yeah absolutely because it does that beautiful thing that um some films do where they introduce a high concept mm. And then immediately start playing around with the limitations yeah. and strengths mm. of that concept. Like, um, and yeah, it's just, it, it does that, but also it never loses track of the human impact of yeah. those events. 
So what is the emotional impact of swapping places with a member of the opposite gender when you're barely old enough to figure out your own gender? Yeah, um, people have compared it to the best of Miyazaki, like Spirited Away and things oh, like that. And although, you know, I quite dislike the system of describing or reviewing films through, you know, the the existence of other films. Sure. Um, I, I do think it, it has something to do with the fact that this film realised a really believable world that yeah. has that is often dictated by spiritual things by magical um events and in in that way it is very similar to something like spirited away ultimately yeah it, it's it's a world that i wanted to be in yeah and definitely. that i was bereft come the end of the film because <laughs> yeah. i didn't want to leave it if i had to pick one best thing yeah the soundtrack which i've definitely mentioned uh at least twice on twitter uh mm-hmm. it's by a japanese band rad wimps um and it's just it's just great it's great 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 it's got um, I think it's got a couple of tracks from one of their earlier albums um, in, in Human Bloom that have a bit of like a pop punk sort of sensibility yeah. to them. Um, and then there's a lot of instrumental stuff that, that, that goes along with it. And it is it's it is the film soundtrack, it's my film soundtrack of 2016 as well as yeah. my film of 2016. The two of them just go perfectly together. Yeah. And you can, I can pick, I pick it up almost once a day and, and, and listen to it and straight away I'm taken back to this world. And for God's sake, if it doesn't come out on DVD soon, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna throw myself out of that window. Yeah. I, I need it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my number one actually shares quite a bit in common with that. Um, my number one, as you may have been able to calculate if you've yeah. been paying attention, uh, is Arrival. Mm. Uh, Arrival is a movie about a linguist um, played by Amy Adams. Yeah. And she is um, called in by the United States military uh, to take part in communication with a, a race of aliens that have suddenly appeared across the face of the earth in menacing black monolithic ships. She and a scientist played by Jeremy Renner must find a way to communicate with the aliens and find out why they're here, what they want. Mm. Those are the main priorities for the military, is why are they here, and what do they want. Amy Adams, in trying to find a method of communicating with these aliens, ends up discovering much, much more. Mm. Um, this is my favourite film of the year, because it is it does perfectly the thing that I love films to do, which is to have this beautiful message about life and the world, and to present it to us in a slightly fantastical format that just makes the digestion of it so much easier. It is a film ultimately about communication. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a film about how we need to communicate with each other better and about also I think about how film can be used as this fantastic universal language to communicate. Um, it had echoes therefore of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, it brilliantly used sort of um, complex narrative structures in a way that I found sort of Nolan-esque. Mm-hmm. It was beautifully shot by Denny Villeneuve, um, who's becoming a real sort of oh. great director now. I mean... Yeah, one of the most formidable talents. Yeah, and I just... I'm so excited about the films, the projects he's involved with now. <laughs> We've got Blade Runner coming up. Yeah. And then June, I just... I can't wait, and I'm so thrilled that he's getting deeper into making intelligent science fiction because this was just spectacular um there's a lot of themes in common with interstellar mm. and a few narrative devices which are actually quite similar um i think one thing that can I, I really enjoy interstellar but one thing that can be said of arrival that can't be said of interstellar is how concise everything is yes. um everything in the film is serves a purpose it's all heading in the same direction mm. every little piece of information that's introduced is there for a reason yes um and it's just, yeah, one incredible 
it's a thrilling story. It manages to be thrilling and exciting with only a few shots fired and one explosion. Yeah. And yet you will be on the edge of your or somebody else's seat throughout the entire thing. Mm. Um, be on somebody's lap. You'll just get, you'll be excitement. on the edge edge of their lap. Um, who is it anyway? Oh, it's Werner Herzog. <laughs> oh, oh no. Jesus Christ. He's fine with it. Get it. Oh, God. He's doing a documentary about your progression <laughs> along his lap. <laughs> Inevitably, they will fall off of my knees. <laughs> um, it's another beautiful film for um, its uh, use of montage and its use of Amy Adams, which is a, yeah. a, a real thing that you need to utilize in your films. Uh, Amy Adams is an incredible talent. Her other yeah. film this year, Nocturnal Animals, I think was both on both of our honorable mentions list. Yeah. She was extraordinary in that. She's extraordinary here as just this incredibly human character who has this tragedy in her life. Mm. And as she's made to deal with the aliens, she's getting like echoes of it. And it's just stunning to mm. watch the um, nuanced performance that she gives, which mm. lends itself a whole other meaning once you've seen the film once before. Yeah, the understanding of the responsibility that's come that's come and coming yeah. to her is is, is is just handled with the utmost skill. Um, Amy Adams, I think, has had a, an excellent year, yeah. and it's just such a shame that she didn't get any recognition in the Oscars. Especially for Batman versus Superman. Dawn Especially of for Batman, Superman, Dawn of Justice. <laughs> um, yeah, poor Amy Adams. Amy Adams. She was she was fantastic this year. It was yeah. a really good year for Amy Adams. Yeah, there'll be other great years though. I mean, she's been nominated so many times for Oscars yeah. before. She'll she'll get there again and she'll win. Um, as long as you think so, she will. We'll make in, her in many ways. It's already happened. Muppets reference. Yeah, Muppets reference. Okay. Um, the best thing about Arrival for me is the opening and closing montage. Mm. which is just the best uh the music is stunning Mm -hmm. Uh, most of it by johan johansson but an opening and closing track by max richter uh Mm. called um called on the nature of sunlight from his second um album blue notebooks right um and it's just masterfully used i think it's one of the it's probably the best realized concept yeah um of all of all the films well most films from the last 10 years i'd say yeah I feel like with a lot of the films I love, you do have to excuse a certain amount of waffling or mm. exposition or just awkwardness, stuff that doesn't quite work or that yeah. you have to make the leap for. Yeah. But not 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 here. This was just surg. It was surgical. It was effortless. Yeah. As well, just uh, any time it wanted you to feel something, you just did. It was so precise. You're in Denny Villeneuve's giant directing hand <laughs> in the palm of his directing hand, and he kept you safe the he entire did. time. Yep. Um, very much like in um, hashtag BBKY. Yes. Uh, yeah, so we should probably get back to that. We oh, yeah, to, okay, we, sorry, got, yeah. I mean, we've got 12,592 films left to discuss after this, so... Um, <sighs> All right, okay. Uh, yeah, the film did quite well, I think, for a Thai film internationally. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, obviously there have been films that, done, that have done better, so it's not one of the top highest grossing films of the year or anything. Oh, no? No, um, in fact, I often look at the highest grossing films of the year in order to get a good indication of where movies are at. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously movies are terrible now and they haven't made a good movie since 1979. Oh, garbage. Yeah. Absolutely. But I like to just gauge exactly where on the shitometer we actually are. Mm-hmm. Pretty um, deep, I imagine. Pretty deep. So, number 10, we have... I know we're doing this ironically, but this doesn't exactly help. Mm. Suicide Squad. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Boy, oh, boy. Boy, oh boy. Uh, we may cover Suicide Squad mm-hmm. in a future episode of the uh, of the show, but it's... Yeah. What, what's the what's the one good thing about Suicide Squad, would you just say? We may well revisit. Mm, Margot Robbie. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's legit. <laughs> I'd say. Yeah, Margot yeah. Robbie's really good in that film. Yeah. Uh, her character is problematic, but she herself, her performance yeah. is really great. Yep. Yeah. Spot on. Next on, next up, Deadpool. Oh, well. Wow. <laughs> where, where, where'd you begin? Uh, we love Deadpool. Yeah. We mm-hmm. really, really enjoyed Deadpool. Well, one good thing about the, uh, about the Deadpool? Yeah. Uh, the Zamboni scene. <laughs> the Zamboni scene. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, but just the, 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 the humor and the violence in general. Yeah. Um, it's a, a fantastic. It, it, we were very worried that this was going to be a tentpole movie. And then people are going to try and make the same sort of irreverent, dark humor work and just completely fail at it. Because I think this film did a very nuanced approach to goofy humor combined with very, yeah. with dark R-ratedness. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fuck you to the rest of the industry that no other film is going to be capable of, no other franchise is going to be capable of doing. No. And it's, yeah. That's, because that, it buys that, into the, the industry too much. Yeah. Uh, number eight, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Oh, I think I can think of one good thing. Oh yes, just mm. just just, just, just one, maybe. Don't look at me in the eyes. I'm very nervous. Oh. I create beasts. <laughs> I would say this film had mm, as many good things as it did bad things. Yeah, it was a diff- it was not a smooth watching experience. I would no. say Fantastic Beasts. Um, no, um, I feel like it, it. It was trying to do two very important things, both. Kind of like The Hobbit. It reminded me of The Hobbit films. It was trying to tell a light-hearted mm. story about a bumbling professor who's lost his fantastic beasts mm. in New York City. And doesn't know where to find them. Doesn't know where to find them. Uh, yeah, and he's going to wander around the city looking for his beasts with the help of some of his charming friends. Yeah. But also we need to set up a whole new series of fantasy films which involves this Dark Lord Grindelwald something? Yeah. Why not? Um, uh, and a heavy-handed sort of social thing about witch hunts and yeah, yeah, it was a social thing. Yeah. Um. What What would be your one good thing about Fantastic Ooh. Beasts and where to find them? My one good thing, I think J.K. Rowling's world is still solid. Yeah. I think that the, the the fantastical reality that she has and the way that it works, I think is still a, an entertaining thing to see. Uh, my one good thing about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them was Dan Fogler. Who was? Who played Kowalski? Oh yes, he was lovely. He was brilliant. He was, he was really was good. Solid performance. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, really liked him. I agree wholeheartedly. Hmm. Number seven is Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Not the Ultimate Edition. No, the regular edition. Oh, the I don't shit know. edition. Yeah. Um, we've done this one. <laughs> yeah, I think we may have spoken about this before. You know. Yeah. Hands in the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Amy Adams. Yeah. And number six, we have The Secret Life of Pets, mm. a film that I saw um, and didn't like very much. Yeah. Uh, it has Louis C.K. as a dog trying to find something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, one good thing. I found the humor quite annoying. Which is I found, good. I found Louis C.K. quite annoying. Uh. It was really his, his disingenuousness uh, really didn't necessarily work in the role of this sort of courageous dog. No. Um. I guess the one good thing was when it delivered on the title and it showed us what the pets got up to when the yeah. owners left, which is a montage at the beginning of the film. <laughs> and then after that, it's just a long, shouty, chasey adventure that's not as good as Utopia. Dredged towards death. Yeah. Number five, yeah. Uh, The Jungle Book. Yeah. John Favreau's Iron Jungle Book. <laughs> Chef. Yes. 
Um, yeah, we both we both saw the sep- we saw this separately, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, it was it was watchable. Um, it had some some really great moments. It had some fairly cringeworthy and um, yeah, some fairly and also some very mi- misplaced and yeah, tedious moments. One good thing, I loved Idris Elba as uh, Shere Khan. Hmm. He was fucking great. Christopher Walken as King Louis. Yeah. Was great. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray as Baloo. Yeah. Worked pretty well. Bill Mur- Murray as Baloo, I think, was my favourite. Yeah. I liked Scarlett Johansson as uh, Carr as well, although yes. I thought she was criminally underused. Yeah. She's just in one scene. Very true. Well, she's a woman. Oh, okay. I and mean, it's not 2050 yet. <laughs> Number four is Utopia. Okay. Uh, which is a, a, a wonderful film. It's really charming. It just missed out on my top ten. Um, mm. It's excellent, and it's a really subtle film about race relations in a big city. Hmm. Um, quite intelligently handled, I think. Then um, I should watch it. Yeah, it's really great. Okay. Um, my uh, the one the best thing about Zootopia is um, the lead the lead character who's this sort of bunny hmm. who's going to become a cop, even though cops in this city are traditionally more aggressive, bigger, scarier animals. She's uh, she wants to be a cop in spite of being a small, adorable bunny, oh. and it's just great. Oh, She's cool. brilliant. Yeah. Number three, Finding Dory. Ah. Oh. Uh, I really like Finding Dory, yeah. and I, I wasn't expecting to. I thought it was just going to be a cheap cash-in sequel. Yeah, um, played on the goodwill of everybody for you know who, who, who loved Finding Nemo, rightly so. Yeah. Um, but I really liked it. It was full of laughs, full um, of laughs, full of hearts. Yeah, full of fish, full of hearts. <laughs> disgusting. Just yeah, just bouncing around all over the place. Human hearts. Yeah. One yeah. thing. Um, Baby Dory. For me. Oh, fuck. Baby, Baby Dory don't. broke my fucking heart. Yeah. <laughs> Number two is Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Mmm. Mmm. Um, it was my favourite Star Wars story. Oh, you, sh- you charlatan. He charlatan? Done. I don't know why, but you charlatan. <laughs> <He didn't> s- <laughs> to de- death with him. Eh. I mean, um, my favourite Star Wars is The Force Awakens, which mm. also gets me quite a fair amount of flack from purists. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I did re- I rewatched the original uh yeah. trilogy uh over christmas and ignoring all of the you know the the bits that george lucas i like to say posthumously put into the original yeah, trilogy yeah. um posthumously yeah. post star After wars fucking death. flogging yeah flogging that corpse again yeah, and again and refusing to release the high definition originals yeah. for our enjoyment um like a grinch uh, there are there are plenty plenty i enjoyed i yeah. can i can see that the Empire Strikes Back is a solid film. Yeah. Um, a New Hope and Return of the Jedi are massively flawed. <laughs> they, yeah, they are. Um, and I can, I can see why it's something that, um, I never got to watch Star Wars as a child. Mm. Oh. I was busy watching Short Circuit, Flight With, of the Navigator, and being stuffed in that cupboard. Starship Troopers <laughs> and Terminator 2. Yes. And then the cupboard and after yeah. all of that as a treat. <laughs> and, um and I just I I never grew up with it like I never grew up with the Goonies so the magic no, of yeah, the Goonies was lost on me and um I think the, the, the Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back still hold enough of that magic to mm. be really quite enticing and Return of the Jedi is a perfectly functional science fiction film it's just a great disappointment yeah because it spends half of its runtime just doing away with the promise mm. of Empire and but yeah there's plenty of joy to be had there yeah. um and you know I I, I really like. The Force Awakens, I think, is wonderful. Mm. Rogue One for me, um, it only dawned on me how much I loved it come the end when it you realise it's a well when the fact that it's a story of sacrifice really yeah. really hits home. I, I yeah, I I, th- I thought it was a really beautiful and kind of poetic 
Sure. Story of Sacrifice. And it had Donnie Yen in it, who's my favourite human being. He's a wonderful human being. Um, I like him a great deal. Just behind Oscar Isaac, though, which is why I prefer yeah, Force okay. Awakens. <laughs> it's all about character for me. And I just, yeah. I, I felt, I found the characters of The Force Awakens resonated a little more yeah. with me. That's all. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely fine. Um, I'll let you have that. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> my one good thing about, uh, Rogue One. Yep. Is. Slight spoiler warning. Take your headphones out if you've not seen Rogue One and count to five. I'm going to count to five here. By the time you put them back in, it'll be over. Okay? Do it now. It's Darth Vader's appearance and advance on the Rebel fleet at the very end of the film. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's a really good... w- welcome back. I hope you didn't like walk into traffic whilst yeah. you were doing that. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and number one, Captain America Civil War. Yeah. Which, um, I- I'll take this one. I, I loved it. It's um, It ranks very highly in terms of my favourite Marvel movies, I think. It was a, a fun... It was a fully realised... You, you could compare it to Bats v. Soups by having a contrived reason for them to fight each other and a flawed reason that the audience can't really buy into. Here, you're splitting the Marvelverse in two along a completely understandable line. Should the government have say over where the Avengers are deployed? You can understand both sides. Mm. The ones who are afraid of corruption and the ones who are afraid of becoming uh, completely unaccountable. Um, and I love what they've done with Steve Rogers' arc in the film. And Tony Stark's. It's like, this hmm. is a, this isn't even an Avengers film. And yet, and it's not an Iron Man film. And yet this feels like the most significant thing to happen to Tony Stark since he was in an explosion in the Middle East in Iron Man hmm. 1. It, it's a beautifully realized, like, ideological conflict. And the action sequences are really fun. Yeah. F- for me, I had decidedly more flawed, um, film. Mm. Definitely not my favorite of the trilogy. Um, I, I I think my my order of preference is probably one two three. I'd say well, in terms of the Captain America trilogy, I'd probably say two three one. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the Captain America story, his story with Bucky, uh, I love. It's it's the the heart of those three films. Yeah, and it's what sets them apart for me. You yeah, know, f- from the other Avengers. Sure. Yeah. Standalone standalone films. The one best, the one good thing about uh, Captain America: Civil War. Yeah, I'd say that. I'd say it's the relationship between Steve Rogers and Bucky. Although yeah. I do also love Peggy, Peggy's funeral, which yeah. Steve Rogers attends. Oh, it's yeah. a really sweet moment um, and a great speech, which is taken from uh, actually a Captain America, Captain America line from the comics. Okay, this idea of when the whole world says move, you say no, you move, uh, which I love. So I've nice. just counted down of those ten, six of them we mm. at the very least like, and yeah. a couple of them we love. That's not bad. That's pretty. That's pretty good. It's better than uh, some other years. Oh Christ! Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and it is surprising considering we had a very disappointing summer, starting yeah. I think with X Men Apocalypse, mm-hmm. which we both had high hopes for. We both loved uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah. First class. First class. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We're big fans of this uh, this timeline of X Men movies. Apocalypse was disappointing. Yep. Followed by Warcraft, yep. Independence Day Two, yep. Legend of Tarzan, but... Jason Bourne. Bro. Ben Hur, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, yeah. The Accountant, Suicide yeah. Squad. I, w- I will say at least with The Accountant, it was disappointingly bad and not offensively bad. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I really wanted to like it. That 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 continued well into things like Doctor Strange for me, which yeah. again had its moments, but sure. for, for me was really disappointing. Except for the fact that it didn't again didn't have a Marvel ending. Yes. Um, in fact, it was one of my favorite Marvel Marvel endings of all time. Because, yeah, I loved um, it. <laughs> it was the opposite of, Very... of that surprising and subversive yeah if this is the the way to be for phase three yeah then yeah good times and i look forward to um 
What even is the next one? For Ragnarok. Uh, no, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Oh yeah, okay. Well, that that'll that's, be that should be pretty fun. good. I'm not. Yeah, I've I've never been a fan of uh, the Thor the no. Thor films. Never been a um, Thor. I like Birch. my one good thing about the Thor films. Ah. Uh, seeing as this is the thing that we do, we keep doing uh, this. Is um is the decision of Kenneth Branagh to cast Idris Elba as the whitest of the gods? Yay! Brilliant! Brilliant! Take that, comic book <laughs> world. Yeah. Oh, Tilda Swinton's here. Oh dear. Oh. Oh. It's okay, she got a black person's permission to be here. <laughs> um Okay, let's yeah. uh should we quick fire? Yeah. Alright, let's have a quick fire about twenty sixteen. Let's yeah. try and reverse some of this bloody negativity because as you might have guessed by now, we've been very facetious about this whole they don't make movies like that anymore. Yeah. It's one of my least favourite sayings yeah. ever. I hate it so much because yeah. movies you can't typify like that. You yeah. can't generalize and it's just you know if this podcast was made for a reason it was to try and disprove the idea that they just don't make good movies anymore and that even the worst films that come out have good in them yeah uh movies are movies people try to express themselves visually it's just a thing it's not like we forgot how to make them yeah and there are there are there are great movies from every decade and there are god-awful movies from every decade yeah that's the other thing is people tend to highlight stinkers when John Cleese was asked why he didn't want to do another series of Faulty Towers, he said people only ever remember the best bits, and yeah. then they come to the next series expecting every episode to have as many best bits as the whole last season. Yeah. That's what people do, is when they think of, oh, but what about the great movies of the past? Like, And then you can name anything that was made in like yeah. a 60-year history, and then say, you see, you can't compare that to like the movies that came out in the last 12 months. Yeah. Pick a year, and unless it's 1999, because that year kicked everything's ass... You'll you'll find just as many good and bad films, and if yeah. you can't, maybe you just haven't seen enough of them. Here, here, here are some films, Paul. The Star, <laughs> Not as a Stranger, Alexander the Great, A Farewell to Arms, The Angry Red Planet, GI Blues. <laughs> I could go on. These are uh, several films between the year 1950 and 1960 that scored a 0% um, rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> they are they are there. The bereft, the bankrupt, yeah. the just this downright rubbish sure they are there all the time their hacks abound in every <laughs> decade for the love of god the 70s weren't that great everyone <laughs> we had power cuts <laughs> remember how cold it was yeah do you remember coal <laughs> do you remember I coal remember, oh that was a backbone of britain coal yeah oh, my granddad like, used to work in coal and... it's like it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing misremembering misremembering the past based yeah. on good memories because it, it leads people to say things like oh summers were hotter back then <laughs> oh we didn't have crime back then did we yeah that yeah. blitz spirit thing which ironically overlooks the yeah. widespread crime that yeah does sort of skew your uh uh perception of the, the modern day yeah let's have a look at this year a bit more closely um what have you got I'm just thankful that Ryan Reynolds finally got to make the Deadpool movie he's always wanted. Yeah. Um, after a decade. Well, he thought he got he thought he had succeeded in 2009 mm. when it was greenlighted that he would appear in X Men Origins: Wolverine. Yeah. It turned out not to be the case. Yeah. Um, he had another shot at trying to do a, a superhero movie that he would care about in Green Lantern a couple of years later. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Third time lucky. And yeah, yeah, nearly a decade later, and he made it, and it worked, and it <laughs> and it was one of the highest grossing films of the year, yeah, despite being R rated, yeah, um, and that's great too because yeah. it says, hey, you can put money into R rated movies, yeah. and it's just been proved again with Logan. Um, yeah. I have that it was a great year for horror. 
Mm. Uh, aside from The Witch and The Wailing, which we've discussed, you had other brilliant horror films like Under the Shadow, The Neon Demon, mm. Don't Breathe, Train mm. to Busan. Oh. Fantastic year for horror movies. God, yeah. The Oscars wasn't so white anymore. Not so white. Um, much more diverse Oscars yeah. and uh, the tightest best picture race I've ever seen. Mm. Probably since 2010. 2010 had a great yeah. race as well. But what have we got? Arrival, Hello High Water, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, yeah. Fences, all of it. It's just yeah. wow. wow. Just very, very good. One of the best things about 2016 for me was the London Film Festival. We mentioned it earlier. Mm. Um, I went to 10 events uh, slash films um, at the London Film Festival this year, the most I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I saw The Handmaiden. I saw a conversation with Park Chan Wook. I saw The Wailing, Christine, Free Fire. That was actually the closing gala I got to attend. Mm. It was fantastic. A couple of misfires. We both saw the new Terence Malick film. Yeah. Uh, Voyage Hopefully. of Time. Voyage of Time, colon... The Voyage of Time. The Voyage of Time. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I think I'm... Am I more of a long-standing Terence Malick fan than you? I don't know about long-standing, long because I'm fonder of um, his early work than yeah, you Yeah, true. But um, you... you value his best work more than i do yeah um the thin the thin red line is one of my favorite films yeah. of all time um i really really like tree of life okay. and everything i've seen since then has just gone progressively worse to yeah. to this and it was a film that vi- visually there's there's no problem with it sure but no there was no through line to it no. it was just it was just a montage of pretty and disturbing things that happened in the world. Terence Malick really has to put his finger out for, for his next piece. He's really got to do something that's going to win me back. Um, and I'm not going to watch it until I don't know if, I don't know if I'd want to go to the cinema for his next one. I feel, I feel a bit, uh, downtrodden. The Magnificent Seven movie was quite good. Yeah. I liked it. I was a, I was a really big fan of that. Um, it was really good fun. That was a surprise. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I feel I really need to stick up for, uh, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, uh, in our in our one good things because silence has been sort of snubbed and ignored by a lot of people, and I, I'm I'm not sure why, but it just didn't seem to be that well received. No, it felt um, a little lukewarm. And whilst it is a, f- a flawed film in in places, yeah, um, a couple of things I really take issue with with um, his his take on the story and his um his understanding of the his, title silence, <laughs> his perspective, yeah, yeah. um. It was a solidly directed film with some like excellent performances from Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver again. Yep, thrilling um, throughout. With Just the uh, engaging, yeah, the Irish Portuguese priest Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, um, he gave a flawless Portuguese accent. Um, no questioning my accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was it was a very very good film told with you know the pacing of a master. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I want to talk about soundtracks. Yep. Brilliant soundtracks uh, by Johan Johansson for Arrival. Mm-hmm. Uh, great soundtracks to Sing Street, The Handmaiden, Your Name, and Hans Zimmer um, uh, with Batman vs. Superman. Yeah. Brilliant soundtrack. Neon Demon. Um, my highlight of the year for me was uh, Mika Levy's soundtrack to Jackie. Um, mm. Surprisingly. There's some brilliant. Well, actually, no, that was clearly Arrival had the best soundtrack there, but. Um, yeah, but okay. no, uh, I really want to highlight Mika Levy's soundtrack to uh, Jackie. It was haunting and eerie and mm. a kind of otherworldly in the same way that Under the Skin was, and it just really ramped up that sense of unease that you felt throughout the whole film. Mm. Yeah, no, fair enough. There, there were some excellent soundtracks. I made yeah. my uh, made my thought feelings clear on uh, Radwimps <laughs> and Your Name earlier, but 
Yeah. Yeah, it really stuck out. Um, Michael Bay's movie of the year, 13 mm-hmm. Hours, was relatively easy to ignore. Yay. Kevin went without much of a fuss. Mm. I appreciate it. Yeah. Big fan of that. Um, this was the fourth yearly box office increase in the past five years, uh, with an increase in actual ticket sales as well. So it's not just that tickets are getting more expensive, actual ticket sales have gone mm. up again. So anyone who says, oh, cinema's going to die a death, you know, television where's, is where it's at now, yeah. you know, streaming, Netflix, yeah. it's just it's going to mean the death of cinema, just punch them in the face. They can do one. Just punch them right in their stupid face. Yeah. Because it's Thank like, you. oh, well, I haven't been to the cinema in a couple of weeks, so I expect no one else is. It's like, cinema's doing fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it, guys. Yeah. It's clearly People... not for you. It's not for you, because <laughs> if you think watching, like, streaming a movie from Netflix on your phone is the same as going to a cinema, then mm. just you, then I'd rather you not be there. Yeah. Um, of course, most of these people are there. They're just watching something on Netflix in the cinema <laughs> during the showing. Um, but I will murder those people. Yeah, one by one. Yeah, we'll uh, Michael Shannon out on them. <laughs> yeah, allow them appear at their appear at their bedroom windows like he does to ours. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Okay. Well, yes. Um, I, th- I think c- cinema is one of those things that technology is not going to overtake. It's not going to surpass. Yeah. And suddenly, suddenly, we're going to find cinema is redundant or an obsolete. Uh, pastime. There's really only one last really good thing about 2016 I want to talk about before we get back to hashtag BBKY. Yes. Um, and that is uh, that we started this podcast. Yeah. And 2016 itself gave us plenty of episodes. It gave us Mother's Day, Batman vs. Superman, Lion Lives. It's going to give us um, plenty to do in the future, like Alice Through the Looking Glass, Collateral Beauty, uh, Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Lots to look forward to. Yeah. And I think really that was my highlight of um, 2016 was, I mean, there's so many great things, but in terms of movies, it was um, having the opportunity to have a venue to sort of discuss them and have yeah. you guys all listen to them. Yeah. Oh, oh. that's your big guy. You. I mean, we're, away, we're a bit of a ways away from the end of this episode. We've got 12,592 episode, uh, films left to discuss before and I we can't can wait. call a wrap. Yeah. Uh, we really need to get onto the second one. But I think probably what my conclusion at the end of all that is going to be that the one good thing about 2016 is you guys. Yeah. Letting us do this. Yeah. There was a real fuck it moment, I think, in uh, yeah. both, both of our lives where we thought, well, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we like talking about m- films. Yeah. We make each other. No, we make ourselves laugh. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I made me laugh quite a lot. <laughs> um, I understand so much more about cinema. Yeah. Having made myself watch these terrible absolutely films. um it's so easy to avoid terrible movies these days yeah you know the the critics opinions are all quantified and sort of measured mm. up and um you know you know what uh score something has gotten well in advance and you know what the trailers look like and you've probably seen most of the movie and clips on youtube mm. but what you miss when you avoid movies like that is the little moments of joy that can come from films Maybe even a couple of surprise pleasures, movies yeah. that you didn't expect to enjoy, but actually did. Mm. And also, yeah, the, the the things you can learn from a bad movie. It can really make you appreciate the good ones. Oh, absolutely. Mm. It's been a really fun, uh, it's been a really fun three or four months so yeah. far. We've got some, uh, we've had more recommendations come in for our <laughs> next, uh, our next few recommendations episodes. Yeah. We've, we've got some brilliant ones planned. Oh, God. Um, I, th- I think as, as far as I'm concerned, I've like the ep- the episodes just keep getting better. Me, yeah, and um, yeah, just thinking about the ones we've got lined up really make me giddy with excitement. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm giddy, but that's largely because my head is falling out of my ass right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so sick. 
You're very, you're very sick. I am, and I'm tired. Um, <laughs> we better uh, crack on, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. before we do, just thanks to everyone who continues to listen to and support this podcast. Yeah, thanks so much to everybody who's um, said nice things on 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 Twitter. We've gotten to know some really cool, interesting people through the podcast scene as well. Yeah. Just um, people that wouldn't, yeah, never never have met if we hadn't reached out with this uh, initial project yeah so thanks to your brain for uh coming up with it <laughs> thanks to yours for participating and huh. making it what it is ah check us out check us out well done us well done us well i think that just about sums it up for hashtag bpky yeah so moving on next up 